and welcome to NDIS Know How, a podcast series that asks how can parents get the very best NDIS plan and sufficient funding to support their kid. This podcast is written and made by me, Melanie Dimmon, the author of Special, and powered by HireUp, a disability support platform connecting families like mine with top-notch support workers. This is the second part of my chat with Alex Brown, a senior support coordinator and recovery coach in the NDIS space. So if you missed part one, back you go, get it in your ears, and we'll catch you back here soon. In this chat, Alex and I continue our conversation about evidence and how we can make sure our providers are creating reports and letters that back up what our family needs. Part of Alex's work includes training providers on how to do exactly this, and she shares her tips for turning out clear, result-winning evidence, starting with how to structure it. I've learned that people working in the NDIA have a very limited amount of time to actually go through our reports and come to a decision about funding. Is there anything to be said for evidence being concise or easy to read or what kind of, is there a style we should be going for? Yep. Well, there's a style that I definitely um, really encourage clinicians to go for. and that is uh, the having sort of a background and everything, obviously, in the initial um, part of the report and really making a clear point of the purpose of the report. Um, so whether it is, say, it's a functional capacity assessment report, making it clear that that's what it is, um, or if it's a report for housing or, or whatever it's for, or if it's for a piece of equipment. And then... Um, But if it's, say, a functional capacity assessment or a neuropsychological assessment report, um, you would have the sort of background information first. And then you want to go into you want to go into the assessment. So rather so rather than just putting a whole lot of scores there, um, put the scores. Yes. Um, and a summary of the scores, but then put a little paragraph underneath explaining the reason for the, so think about it as I'm using this assessment tool to back up what, what piece of, what are you trying to get gather from this assessment tool and making sure that that is included in a bit of a summary underneath. Once the assessment section is done, then going into each of the domains, so going into the functional area and actually going into each of the communication, self-care, self-management, learning, social interaction and mobility. Um, and talking about the functional impact from your perspective. So if you're a psychologist, then from a psychological perspective, from an occupational therapist, then from that perspective, from a neuropsychologist um, perspective, if that if you're a neuropsychologist. So going from, uh, so obviously if it's a neuropsychologist, they're going to be more focused on the cognitive areas. Um, and so they might not be able to comment comprehensively on say mobility or self-care whereas an occupational therapist will be able to comment quite comprehensively in the self-care and self-management section and um, social interaction a speech therapist will comprehensively comment on the communication section and a um a physiotherapist might comment comprehensively in the mobility section say say you're a neuropsychologist and you're writing in the mobility section you might think oh there's nothing for me to say well actually there is because um 
that you there's a lot of cognitive processes that happen for a person to be able to get out into the community so it's not just about their limbs and moving from one area to the other so that's what I really like people to focus on is working within their scope but speaking from their perspective what are the deficits that make it difficult for the person their cognitive processes what is lacking for them to be able to go out in the community navigate around the community and not get lost or you know um taken away by someone or whatever it is um or into trouble what are the deficits there and then talking about that and then after you've gone into each of the sections into each of the domains then doing sort of a summary of the assessment and then you want to do your recommendations when it comes to these recommendations alex strongly encourages evidence writers to make a clear distinction between mainstream and community recommendations and NDIS recommendations. So if you've got mainstream uh, or health recommendations, it's totally fine to put them in there, but you actually don't have to. You want to really focus on those NDIS recommendations. And in those NDIS recommendations, making sure that there is a recommendation and then you're backing it up with linking it back to the reasonable and necessary criteria um, for every single recommendation. Jumping in here to give you a crash course in the reasonable and necessary criteria. For each support you ask for, you need to make sure it ticks the box on each of these six things. One, the support will assist a participant to reach the goals and aspirations outlined in their participant statement. Two, the support will facilitate the participant's social and economic participation. Three, the support represents value for money relative to benefits achieved and costs of alternative supports. Four, the support is considered good practice and is likely to be beneficial to the participant. Five, the support takes into account what is reasonable for parents, carers, informal networks and the community to provide. And six, the support is most appropriately funded through the NDIS. It's really important to do that because, and I, I'm quite strong with that, the way that it's set up on the system at NDIA, they have to, the LAC or the planner, when they do the meeting with the individual, um, uh, whether it's whether you are directly with a planner or whether you're with the LAC, it's the same. It's a conversation between you and the um, partner in the community or directly with the um, the NDIA, and you are essentially making your case. And then you've got your supporting evidence to back you up. But then after that meeting, the NDIA planner or LAC will um, take that information and put it into their own report and their own report actually goes into each of those domains. The report um, that they write has to provide a justification for every support they request. So if it's clearly stated and outlined and structured that way in the report, then it makes it so much easier for them to reference it and go, oh, okay, I can just pull it straight from that section because you've got the, you know, it's out, it's structured exactly the way that they need it for, um, for their system. I love how you say, you know, um, for therapists and specialists to, you know, stick within their relevant domain, but also comment in the other ones. Like what's the point in working on, you know, mobility to be out and about in the community if you're not, if you don't 
you know, feel confident or mentally prepared to be out in the community. And I think there is just so much crossover between, you know, those different areas anyway, and it would strengthen your evidence as a whole. Yeah. If all of your people giving evidence are also backing up each other and the things that you know Absolutely. the other ones are asking for. And there's that golden thread. So obviously the physio is going to be talking from a mobility um perspective, but for a psychologist, for example, um uh would be talk could be talking about the emotional impacts of the physical disability on say say someone's a falls risk how does that that would you know increase a person's anxiety tenfold to be able to go out in the community and know what you know and so that might um scare them frighten them understandably and they might avoid going out to certain places because they're so afraid of falling so even though the mobility is it's due to their physical disability that they have a falls risk. They might, it, um, it is also impacting them emotionally. And that is also a direct result of their disability. Um, and how is that impacting their ability to go out in the community? So it really strengthens then if you want to justify, say, psychological support um, to build, the, to be able to build the confidence, the skills um, to sort of manage the anxiety and stuff felt when going into the community. So uh, it's, yeah, there's definitely the different perspectives on the different things. And I think I do really encourage clinicians to really think about it, yes, within their scope, but not taking that sort of looking at mobility or looking at, you know, an area that they, um, they're like, oh, no, that's physio or that's OT or that's psychology, that they handle that. It's like, well, actually, I think you can get, something you can speak in this area from the perspective because the thing is is that these people everyone is an individual um a human being and most of the time all of these domains are 100% interlink so like communication for example interlinks very closely with social interaction with self-management with learning and so if you so it is really um important to look at it from yes with as a clinic as a clinician within your scope or as a parent from a caring perspective or you know as a school so um getting reports from the school can be really helpful um as well so all of that evidence i think it comes down to you thinking what am i asking for here what do i want to show the ndia so i can prove to them that my you know person needs this support and so and then how what who in this person's team will help me to get that so if if you're trying to justify behavior support funding getting incident reports from the school is an excellent piece of evidence so it's it just depends on what you're asking for at the end at the end of the day and being quite you can be as creative as you want with um providing the evidence but i think the key thing here is though you want to paint a picture rather than stating, you know, so-and-so cannot eat independently. It's like, okay, but what does that look like? How are you backing that up? What piece of, what assessment tool can you use to show that this is um, 
uh, what what it's like and what this is what it looks like and this is how it impacts the person day to day um, and then what support do they need you don't need to in the actual report or in the information section that's not the summary or the um that's not the recommendation section you don't need to be stating like this person needs occupational therapy. You're better off explaining what the support looks like. So this person needs hand-on-hand -hand, um, prompted support or this person needs verbal prompting. This person needs simple language or first and then language to be able to, you know, explain or you need to, you know, give one one um, task at a time or or whatever it is, um, but it's better to explain what that support looks like. And then when you get to the NDIS recommendation section, um, stating exactly what, whether it's OT or support workers or um, psychologist, whatever it is um, that you're recommending, uh, it makes more sense because you've really comprehensively explained it. Yes, you're not just going in there demanding, I need physio and I need Yeah, OT. that's right, because they're going to go, uh, <laughs> No, they're going to go one like they and so I think having that clear evidence um to really back up the case is well it's key when it comes to and it's getting harder and harder to get things funded um with the NDIS uh, within an, an individual's NDIS package even if a person you know has met access and they've had the same plan for five years and it's all tracking along well, um, they can't get complacent. They need to be pr um, providing evidence each year um, to say that this is how the, the funding's being used, this is what's working, this is what continues to, like this is what we continue to work on, um, and these are the changes uh, because otherwise the NDIA will say, well, we don't have enough evidence to provide this level of funding and we're going to cut it. Um, and, and you might be like, no, 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 but like we've been using it and it's been going well. And it's like, yeah, but the NDIA don't know that. We need to show them that um, and we need to do that through evidence. So if you're using any NDIS providers, then they know that they need to be providing a summary report, um, whether it be comprehensive or um, fairly simple, um, but a simple report still needs to contain those key elements. Um, otherwise, it you know it's not really useful. I think it can feel a bit like when you have a clinician come in as a parent, you might think, oh, well, they know best, so I'm not going to say anything to them, but. Like, remember that you know your child best and you know the situation best. So feeling empowered and um, comfortable with actually going back and saying, hey, you know what, like, we really need this funded and this is why. And I don't feel like this letter is showing the NDIA that. A big thanks to Alex for this really informative chat and also to Hiram for supporting me in making this podcast. If you want to find more tips on how to successfully wrangle this scheme, check out HireUp's library of webinars and free resources to help you navigate different elements of the NDIS. You'll find a link to this in the show notes, along with some useful links from Alex. The holiday season is upon us, so I'll be putting a little pause on the pod and we'll catch you again early next year. Thank you, dear listeners, for tuning into NDIS Know How and have a lovely Chrissy break.